I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu. And on this edition of the show, we're going to be looking ahead to Arsenal versus Everton, a fixture that takes place on Wednesday night at Emirates Stadium. This is the game in hand that we've been talking about for a while. This is the game in hand that provides us with the opportunity to extend our lead over Manchester City to five points on the same games played. This is a huge, huge fixture for Arsenal in the context of our season. It's going to be a test. I think we saw from Everton a, a few weeks ago that, you know, they are going to be more resilient under Sean Dyche. They are going to be that bit tougher defensively. They are going to be that little bit more streetwise, probably. I would argue that we went there at a really bad time, as far as we were concerned. We were unfortunate to be their next opponents after, of course, Sean Dyche was appointed. And I think that played a massive part in the outcome on the day. But, you know, I saw enough that day from Everton to know that they can be a tough nut to crack. They can be a difficult, stubborn opponent for us. And so we're going to have to be at something close to our best if we're going to get all three points. And this would be a huge three points in the context of the season. Um, I've already said that, and I'm probably going to say it four or five more times between now and the end of the show, because I really, really do uh, believe that. Hope everyone's well. I uh, hope you guys are good. Uh, apologies for the lack of an episode yesterday. I got back from France a lot later than I'd planned because my flight was delayed. Surprise, surprise. Uh, which meant that I was kind of playing catch up a little bit, got back, literally dropped my bags off uh, in the door, got on the train and went into London uh, to the 90 Min studio for the shows that we filmed yesterday. So haven't had an awful lot of time to kind of, um, you know, get back in order. I've spent a lot of today sort of getting my life back on track uh, after a weekend away uh, working, obviously, but still uh, a weekend away from all the normal things I do. So, yeah. Um, in a much better place now, organised, and uh, all focus is on this game tomorrow night, which I'm kind of looking forward to, but I'm also sort of really, really nervous about, i got to be honest. Uh, let's say a few hellos uh, to some of you in the live chat. Uh, big hello to uh, Afsar, to Steve, uh, David is with us as well, uh, Richie, Jalen Brown, uh, Nav is here, uh, who else have we got in the live chat? Temi. Um, we've got Amrit who's joining us from Mumbai in India. I hope you're well, my friend. We've got Edwin with us. How's it going, mate? I uh, hope you're well. So yeah, plenty of you in the live chat and, um, and without further ado, then let's kind of get into it. Let's, let's sort of build up to this match. Let's share, uh, some thoughts on the starting lineup. Let's discuss Thomas Partey, Leandro Trossard. Let's talk uh, about the 11 that Mikel Arteta should pick, I guess, in our opinion. We've also got a poll running in the live chat with regards to who we think is going to win the game. If anyone's going to win the game, will it be a draw? What's your prediction? You can get involved in that in the live chat and we'll look at the results on that one a little bit later on. We'll also do a bit of a Q&A session uh, towards the end of the stream as well. So stay tuned and hold fire if you've got questions because what could happen is they do sometimes just get lost in the chat. Uh, okay, 
Should we start with Mikel Arteta's press conference? He faced the media this morning and was asked about a number of topics. Let me share my screen with you guys. And we'll run through just some of the quotes from that press conference. It's not worth going through all of it um, because, yeah, I mean, what's the point? I'm sure a lot of you will have heard it. But just for context, as we kind of build up to this game, I do want to share with you guys uh, some of the quotes from it, some of the things that came out from it. Um, he was asked about Thomas Partey. Now, obviously, Thomas Partey has been injured for a little while now. He did come on as a really late substitute at Leicester, encouraging that he was on the bench in the first place. But obviously, um, you know, we've kind of been burnt before when it comes to Thomas Partey. You know, we've rushed him back previously and we've paid for that. And I think there's a reluctance on Mikel Arteta's part to take that risk again. I think the arrival and emergence of Jorginho has put Mikel Arteta in a position where he doesn't feel like he desperately needs to bring back Thomas Partey. I'm not for a second saying that Jorginho is better than Partey. I'm not saying that we're a better team with Jorginho than we are with Partey. I, I, I don't subscribe to that. I'm sorry. I think Jorginho's done really well since he's coming. But I think if you really look close enough, you can still see some of the things that Jorginho has been criticised for in the past. Now, it's just the way he plays. And maybe in a different system, maybe in a different setup, those issues that I'm sort of referring to are less exposed, less of a problem. But I think for us, where we do play really high up, we squeeze teams into their half, we try and suffocate them, we try and get in and among them, we need to be stronger on the transition. The fact that we have been this season is why we've been far more successful because we've been able to almost force ourselves onto teams, um, you know, impose ourselves, play our game, but also doing it quite confident in the fact that we, or, or quite confidently in the fact that we know that if the move breaks down, we have the resources and the uh, right equipment, shall we say, to be able to shut down most counterattacks. Jorginho is not that. He's not that in the way that Thomas Partey is. We've had this discussion a number of times recently I think in possession, Jorginho is as good. I really do believe that. But off the ball, he's a very, very different proposition. So, yes, Thomas Partey is the best option and I can't wait to have him back. But I think the fact that Jorginho is here and has played quite well and has impacted games so far puts Mikel Arteta in a place where he, you know, he doesn't feel like he really needs to take that risk. And if it means waiting one more week to reintegrate Thomas Partey, then fine. Uh, so he was asked about Thomas Partey, and this is what he had to say. He hasn't trained much. He had a session and he will train today. It is what it is. He was out for a few weeks and he needs to get back into rhythm. That doesn't give me a lot of encouragement in the idea of Partey, or, or a lot of confidence, I should say, in the idea of Partey returning tomorrow night. I think what that kind of tells us is that it is touch and go still and that Mikel Arteta probably isn't going to take a risk and understands that Thomas Partey is going to need a bit of time to get back up to speed. So I would guess that Jorginho will be in the team uh, tomorrow. He was asked about what happened between William Saliba and Gabriel at the end of the Leicester win. There was a, a little altercation between the two. It looked to me like they were just having strong words with each other. You know, they uh, obviously managed to keep the clean sheet, which is a big deal. But the fact that neither of them were entirely satisfied with the performance as a, as a defensive unit, despite us keeping a clean sheet and winning the game, I think is a good sign because I think it tells you that, you know, they always want to be better. 
They're always striving for perfection. And, you know, to be able to challenge people and challenge each other, but in a healthy and respectful way, I think is is a really important thing to be able to do. And I think to have a successful dressing room, you need players that are willing to do that. Now, you'd hope that the relationships are strong enough to withstand the kind of tension that comes from the heat at the moment. And I think that we've got that now with this group. I think we've got the right types of characters. Uh, but Mikel Arteta was asked about it and he said they are a happy marriage. They love playing with each other, but they are really demanding of each other, which is good. Everything is fine. Um, he was asked about whether uh, the Everton game is a, a case uh, of revenge. Um, he said, look, it's a case of doing things better than we did when we played them a few weeks ago and earning the right to win the game. Hopefully tomorrow we'll play much better than we did that day. He was asked about uh, the fact that he's only won once against Sean Dyche. He didn't want to make it about him. Mikel Arteta, he said, look, we have to improve. So, um, look, Mikel Arteta does that, doesn't he? He shuts down uh, questions that he just doesn't want to answer. I mean, he was asked about the Graham Potter situation on whether he sympathises with him. He said, look, we're colleagues. And we all know the pressure and the demands and uncertainty that this industry has. At the end of the day, the ball has to go into that net. And there are many factors that can prevent that that are out of your control. So I fully empathize because you suffer and you know how it is when you are going through those moments. He was also asked whether he had received the level of abuse that Graham Potter has over the last couple of weeks. Graham Potter speaking very candidly and openly about the fact that his family have received abuse. He has received abuse. Mikel Arteta says, I prefer not to talk about that, which kind of suggests if you read between the lines that, yes, Mikel Arteta uh, was on the receiving end uh, of some of that during our difficult period as well. And look, those people don't represent a football club. They're a bunch of mindless idiots online hiding behind usernames and avatars and whatever you want to call them. You know, I, I don't think you should pay too much attention to those people. And I think for me, where my job now involves me putting opinions out there and, and you know, being front facing, I've learned over time to be able to block it out. And at the beginning, I used to bite to it a lot. And, and I, I still get it a lot. I did get it a lot. Not ever to the level that Mikel Arteta would have got it or to the level that Graham Potter will be getting it now. But I do get people DMing me ridiculous things. I do get people commenting on some of my work saying ridiculous things. I do get people coming at me. And I just think the more you you get it, the more you deal with it, the more you learn to push it to one side. I think when it can be, uh, or when it is about your family, I think it can be really hard hitting. Um, and, and that can be difficult to ignore sometimes. I had a message once uh, about my kid and that really got under my skin, like to the point where I was like really angry. And that was one idiot person that disagreed with my view on Unai Emery. I can't imagine what it would be like for someone like Graham Potter, who I'd imagine has got hundreds, maybe thousands of people coming at him. So the point I'm trying to make here is that I think that's something that you can't let define you. You kind of just have to be able to compartmentalize it, put it to one side and get on with the job at hand. Um, it's a skill to be able to do that. And I don't think it's a skill you're born with. I think it's something that you learn uh, to control and cope with. And I think Graham Potter, for all his experience in management, won't have been in a, a position like he is now at Chelsea, where it's really high profile, a lot of pressure, a lot of discussion. They're the headline pretty much every week when they fail to win. 
I think that's something that he's going to have to um, he's going to have to uh, get used to. Glad he highlighted it because I think you need to. But now he's got to push it to one side and, and get on with the job at hand because everyone knows he's got one hell of a job uh, on his hands there at Chelsea because uh, there's a lot that needs fixing. But anyway, that's enough about Chelsea and Graham Potter. Um, he was also asked about Jakub Kivior and Emil Smith-Rowe, both of whom played for the under-21s last night. He said they were really good. Obviously, they needed some minutes, and at the moment, they haven't had much exposure for different situations. He said it was great to see them on the field because we're going to need them in the next couple of games. So Mikel Arteta recognising that, obviously, Emil Smith-Rowe uh, is still on the road um, back from a, a long layoff. Jakub Kivior's come into the club, has obviously trained with everybody, but hasn't had an awful lot of game time uh, because why would Mikel Arteta want to break up that happy marriage of a central defensive pairing that we've talked about? Um, so, yeah, look, he, he recognised that he's not going to get the game time, hasn't had the game time and needs it. So they threw them in with the under-21s yesterday. And um, and that was uh, obviously a positive. Fingers crossed they're, they're ready to help the first team and, and will be ready sooner rather than later. He was asked about the possibility of losing players in the summer that aren't getting that many minutes. Somebody like Kieran Tierney uh, sprang to my mind at the beginning of that question and the person who asked it followed it up with Kieran Tierney. Um, and Mikhail said, look, I don't know. I'm not thinking about that. I'm thinking about what's best for the team and the players who earn the right to play minutes that they all deserve. We're going to try and do that in the next couple of games. So just a little bit of a hint there, maybe, that we're going to see some rotation in the Europa League. I think a lot of us expect that anyway, but I think that gives uh, Mikel Arteta an opportunity to get some of these players back in. It's important, you know, we talk a lot about how one of the keystones of our success this season has been the fact that we've played with the same 11 um, quite a bit. Like, you know, that's been a positive. That's been um, something that I think is, is, I think has been big in terms of finding that consistency and finding that rhythm and finding a game plan that works and then having a group of players that know it inside out. And we've been lucky in that sense. We've lost some key players at key points, which has obviously been unlucky. But yeah, I feel that while that's been huge, what you also want is you want players that are on the fringes, are on the peripheries, uh, to be able to come in and do a job when called upon. But that isn't always easy to do when you've been out in the cold for a little while. So yeah, um, you know, it's understandable that Mikel wants to use some of these players in the Europa League returning gives us the opportunity to do that. I wouldn't disregard the Europa League. You know, I know a lot of people are like tunnel vision now, Premier League, that's it. Let's focus on that. I'd, I'd love to see Arsenal win a European trophy just on a personal level. Um, and yeah, kind of got to see where we end up with that. I think we can rotate a bit now. I think we are in a place as a squad where we can rotate not completely. I don't want to see 11 changes, but I think we can make five or six changes in those games and still be OK. And um, and that's probably the type of balance that Mikel needs to find. It will be similar to what we saw in the group stages, I'd imagine, where, you know, it was kind of a half rotation. I think that's what we're probably going to get. Uh, some of you guys pointed out that it was Tom uh, over on the Guna Talk that asked Mikel uh, the question about potentially losing players in the summer. Um, shout out to Tom. Uh, apologies if if it was Tom and I, I missed that um, 
it's, it's when you're watching those press conferences live, you can't always hear the question very, very clearly because obviously Mikel Arteta is sitting in front of a group of microphones, but the journalists asking the questions are not. Uh, so if I didn't pick up on that, shame on me because Tom's a really good friend. So, yeah. Shout out to Tom. Keep doing your thing, man. Uh, okay, so that was the uh, the press conference, the headlines from that. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the selection dilemma that Mikel Arteta has uh, this, uh, well, going into this fixture, because I think there's been a few questions over a few players of late, and we saw some things at the weekend that could potentially be solutions. So, I'll speed up the process a little bit in terms of my starting lineup. It's Ramsdale in goal for me. There's no question about that. The back four for me should be White, Saliba, Gabriel and Zinchenko. Moving into the midfield, as I mentioned earlier, I don't think that Thomas Partey will be fit enough to start. And so if there is any risk, I ain't picking him. Simple as that. And I go with Jorginho in a game that I expect us to have uh, a lot more of the ball, a lot more possession. Martin Odegaard plays for me. Xhaka plays for me. Saka plays from the right. And then the questions I've got are around the centre-forward position and the, the left-sided position. So we're going to discuss those at length right now. But there's just one bit that I wanted to address because this was put to me um, going into the game against Leicester City. And I kind of batted it away because for me, it wasn't an option. Certainly not on the road. Um, is it more of an option playing at home against Everton, maybe. Um, but the question that's being posed is, is it time to rest Granite Xhaka and go with a little bit more offence? And and a lot of people that kind of are subscribing to this opinion are going down the route of Fabio Vieira, who I think has been better recently in coming on. He's been more impactful recently. Um, you know, he's, he's definitely moving in the right direction uh, in terms of his input and, and, and in terms of, his level sort of increasing. But I mean, think back to that game we played at Goodison Park. And I know this is going to probably be a different game, you know, at home, et cetera, et cetera. But think back to that game. And we had, or we came up against a midfield of Decore, Onana, was it? Hold on a second. Let me, let's bring it up just to make sure I'm not talking nonsense. Uh, so it was Everton 1 0, wasn't it? Uh, let me just bring up the match report and just double confirm this. Uh, James Tarkovsky obviously scored the winning goal that day. Uh, but the team that Sean Dyche picked had a midfield consisting of Decore, uh, Idrissa Gay, and Onana. That's a pretty physical midfield. That's probably as physical as they come. Um, you know, and and when I think about that, just the idea of taking the one physical presence we have remaining in midfield without Thomas Partey out of the side seems ludicrous to me. So I'm not taking Granit Xhaka out for this game. If if Thomas Partey was sitting in the six, maybe I'd take out Granit Xhaka if I felt that he needed that. I don't really think he does. I think he's been a bit less impactful in the final third. Uh, in the last few weeks, but I think generally speaking, he's still playing okay. Not at the best level, not at the level that he's shown uh, sort of maybe three, four months ago, but he's not playing badly. He's, we're not at a point with Granit Xhaka where I think he needs to be taken out of the team because that's going to be the difference between us getting the result and not getting the result. But yeah, I think 
without Thomas Partey, you you cannot do that. You you cannot put Fabio Vieira into a midfield alongside Jorginho um, and alongside uh, Martin Odegaard. I, I, I just don't think you can do that. I, I think it upsets the balance. And I think one of the big things uh, about Arsenal this season has been the balance. You know, the fact that we've managed to find a greater balance. I talked earlier about the, the ability to be able to squeeze up and press teams because we found that balance in, in our ability to deal with transitions. Um, there was a, a clip going around. I think it was Dewsbury Hall that was speaking after the Leicester game. We talked about, or he must have been asked some sort of question around why it was that Leicester really struggled to cause us any problems. And he said, look, when we tried to break on Arsenal, they just got back so quickly. And, and he talked about how hard the team works for each other. And that every time they did try and break away, he'd look up and he'd see a sea of red. And that was a testament to, you know, how well Arsenal are working for one another. But there is more emphasis on that at the moment because of Thomas Partey's absence. And, and I honestly believe that. Like, people are looking at that midfield area, understand. Maybe Mikel Arteta said it openly, bluntly. Look, Jorginho, you're not um, as, uh, you know, you're not as... Uh, resistant to the transition. You're not as, uh, you know, as mobile as Thomas Partey. It's not to discredit the play. You're just a different type of player. And so, you know, we will, we will have to be alert to that. We'll have to be alert to what happens when we lose the ball. And we'll have to be a little bit more cautious in terms of how many bodies we send uh, flying back to deal with those situations. And, you know, that's, that's an example of, why with Jorginho in the side, the balance is just not quite 100% as, as balanced as it was. And, and that is something that we have to accept. So then to damage that even more or upset that even more, in my opinion, by taking Granite Xhaka out would be really, really risky. I mean, if you get to the last 20 minutes of a game and you need a goal, by all means, take Granite Xhaka off, bring Fabio Vieira on. He's more likely to make the difference in the final third. He's more likely to find that killer pass. He's more likely to let fly and find a top corner. I agree with all of those things, but you don't do that for me uh, going into a game against Everton, not from the start, not from the outset. So then the big question is, what do we do up top? Now, Leandro Trossard technically started there uh, against Leicester City. We saw... Gabriel Martinelli drift in that position at times. We saw them swap and interchange, and I thought that was really effective. If you look back at the goal that Arsenal scored, it came off the back of Trossard drifting out left, Martinelli recognising that there'd been a hole left in the middle, getting his head down, sprinting into the um, into the dangerous area and receiving the ball after a wonderful bit of footwork and then a nice nutmeg from Leandro Trossard. But now do you persist with that? Do you continue with that? It worked. Arsenal didn't score a, a shit ton of goals at the weekend, but they certainly dominated the game in the way that you'd have hoped and in the way that you'd have liked. And when we talked about it on our review show, we discussed the fact that probably the scoreline didn't really tell the story of the game. Maybe if, you know, if we don't have that goal ruled out, maybe if we get the penalty kick, you know, it looks very, very different. But it was only a 1-0 win on paper, but it was more than that in terms of the performance for me. So they've got a lot of credit, Leandro Trossard and Martinelli, as the two operating in those two positions that I've left sort of unselected. But at the same time, there's a part of me that believes, whether I agree with it or not, that Mikel Arteta is going to put Eddie and Ketia back in. I think that 
you know, he's talked about rotation. He's talked about the need to use players over the next couple of games. And I think leaving Eddie and Ketia out was partly because he probably needed a bit of a breather, was probably because he felt like he'd run him into the ground and that he was running out of steam. But I think also part of that probably would have been to have a fresh Eddie and Ketia uh, to help us against Everton. Eddie and Ketia has done a, a good job overall in replacing uh, Gabriel Jesus. He isn't Gabriel Jesus. He never will be. And so if you expected him to come in and mirror the performances of the Brazilian, then I don't know what you're smoking. But, you know, he's done a good job overall, but there were just signs in the last few weeks that he'd just gone off the boil a little bit, a bit like Martinelli had. And Martinelli was taken out of the team temporarily to, to recover from that. And he has, and he's done brilliantly. Luckily, he didn't need a long time out on the sidelines uh, to sort of get back to, uh, you know, the level that we know he can play at and the level that we know we want him at. And, and he's contributing goals now, which is fantastic. Scored, uh, obviously, at Villa, scored at Leicester as well. I believe that Eddie Nketiah is going to start. Is it what I would do, though? I'm not so sure. Um, I, I'm a bit torn on this. I think that you can make a case that says... Having Trossard drop towards the edge of the penalty area and into those areas that we often ask our centre forward to drop into uh, is an effective ploy. You can argue that he's got the footwork, he's got the trickery to be able to receive the ball in tight spaces, probably more so than Eddie Nketiah, and, and create things and make things happen. He's a better dribbler than Eddie Nketiah. And so in that sense, he's closer to Gabriel Jesus. But is he going to close people down in the way that Enketia does? Is he going to press people? Is he going to be able to hold the ball up? Which Enketia doesn't do amazingly well, but I, there were just, there were a few games recently that I looked at and I thought, yeah, you've done a good job of it today, given that you were up against two, sometimes three uh, massive centre-halves. Eddie Enketia struggled at Everton uh, because of the physicality uh, that they have in that back line. I think he, he struggles sometimes with that physical battle. And so if you can't win the physical battle, What's the point in going into it? Maybe you should, um, you know, maybe you should revert back to what it is that you do best. And in Enketia's case, you know, he likes to pop up in the six-yard box, but if you can't get it there, then what's the point? You know, you need to be able to work the ball into those spaces for him to come alive. Trossard will look at a couple of centre-halves like Connor Cody and James Tarkovsky and think, I'm not going to beat you in the air. I'm not going to stand next to you. And I'm not going to, um, you know, I'm not going to try and go toe-to-toe -to -toe with you in that sense. But I know I'm trickier than you. I know I've got more guile than you. I know I've got a better football brain than you. And so I'm going to try and do the things that I know I'm better at and hope that that brings me some success. And I think what happened by bringing Trossard in was not, oh my God, Eddie and Ketia's rubbish. Look how much better we are without him. It was a slightly different approach because neither Martinelli nor Leandro Trossard positionally um, were expected to be as rigid as Eddie Nketiah is or as focused on occupying the centre-halves as Eddie Nketiah is. Whether it was because of instruction or because they took it upon themselves or naturally they would drift left or right, deeper, etc., etc. Whatever the reason behind it was, it just gave us something different. It made us less predictable. And that is why I'm tempted to go with that again. But I do think Mikel will go with Eddie. I, I do. I, I expect Eddie to play. 
And I expect probably Trossard to miss out because Martinelli has hit some goal-scoring form of late. So, uh, yeah, my guess would be Nketia through the middle and Martinelli from the left. But I would probably go with the Trossard-Martinelli combo, knowing that Nketiah can come on and help us, knowing that Vieira can come on and help us, knowing that Emil Smith-Rowe is closer to be able to come in on and helping us. And, and that's probably the way I would look at it. So my selection, and this is just my selection, uh, would be the same as it was at the weekend. Assuming everyone's fresh enough and fit enough, it would be Trossard. And then it would be uh, from the left, Martinelli. But uh, with the pair interchanging, um, whenever they feel is necessary and, and maybe when Mikel Arteta feels it's the right thing to do. So that's the team I would go with. Let me just run you through that again. Ramsdale in goal, White, Saliba, Gabriel, Zinchenko. Uh, my midfield would be Xhaka, Odegaard and Jorginho only because I don't think Thomas Partey's fit enough to start. Uh, and then I'd go Martinelli on the left, Saka on the right and Leandro Trossard through the middle. But I'll say it again, I expect Eddie and Ketia to start in the centre-forward position after having that breather. Okay, uh, I'm going to leave uh, the lineup stuff uh, there for now. Um, we're going to talk predictions. We're going to talk uh, whatever you guys want as well, because we're going to take some questions uh, for a little while as well uh, before we uh, disappear off into the sunset. I say sunset, it's bloody miserable here uh, in North London. I, can't, I just can't wait for the game. So I hate this period where you're like waiting for a game. Um, but anyway, let's see. Uh, let's see what happens with it and let's see uh, how we're feeling uh, sort of this time Thursday. Anyway, um, before I continue, uh, please do leave a like on the video. It really, really, really does help. Uh, there's, oh, there's nearly 250 of you with us live right now. There's only 54 likes on the board. Uh, which is nowhere near good enough. So please like and subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already. That really does help too. Um, and yeah, we're going to take a very, very, very short pause. And then we're going to do predictions followed by you guys' questions. So don't go anywhere. Be back in a sec. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget, not just for football, and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favourite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 19-Min Football Network. We're building up uh, to Arsenal versus Everton. I've just realised that I forgot to give you the kind of statistical breakdown that we normally give you in our preview shows ahead of this one. My head is in the clouds. I've been all over the place the last few days. Um, let me give you that now, actually, before we move on to predictions. But first, let me just take this one uh, from Matt. Harry, are you still happily married after not taking your wife to Paris? I can confirm that when I returned home, my wife was still here. <laughs> so, yeah, that counts. <laughs> um, yeah, she she's over it. Problem is I might be going again in a few weeks, but we'll see. Um, right. Let's do that statistical breakdown. I think it's important we do that because we always do that. I can't believe I missed it. Um, really poor of me. 
Uh, let's just share the screen. Here we go. Uh, so if you look at the Premier League history between these two sides, 61 meetings between Arsenal and Everton. Uh, the Gunners have won 35 of those clashes in comparison to just 12 uh, for the Merseysiders. There have been 14 draws throughout the Premier League era as well. If we take this on and we look at the recent meetings, uh, you look back at the game that took place uh, earlier this month. Um, Arsenal, of course, beaten at Goodison Park. It was, I told you, for me, it was the perfect storm for Everton that day. New manager balance, all of that. Arsenal not quite at it and they punished us for it. Um, they beat us by a goal to nil, Tarkovsky with the goal. Take it back to last season. We beat them 5-1 at Emirates Stadium, um, which was on the final day of the season, was it? Um, and then, of course, uh, or around that point anyway, I can't remember. Mine's gone blank. But obviously in December, uh, going into Christmas, we got beaten there. And that was maybe one of our worst performances of last season. I remember that. Uh, prior to that, we'd been beaten by Everton at the Emirates Stadium uh by a goal to nil that was on friday the 23rd of april and going back to december 2020 we'll beat them 2-1 at goodison parks so we haven't got the best uh, record against them in recent times we've only beaten everton once in our last five premier league meetings that doesn't bode well um, nicola teta was asked about his record against sean dice now of course sean dice hasn't been the everton manager throughout the duration of this period. But what it does tell us is that this is a very physical side, still largely made up of the same group of players that can dig in and can cause you problems. Um, I mean, you only have to look at the fact that we've uh, we've struggled to score goals against them, with the exception of that one match, uh, to kind of back that point up. We'll take it on even further. Uh, the form guide, uh, looking at that. Arsenal have won two of their last five Premier League fixtures. Disappointing when you're pushing for a Premier League title. Everton have only won two of their last five. Uh, but of course, they are down the other end of the table. They're embroiled in a relegation battles. So actually, it's not the worst form in the world when you're in that kind of position. Obviously, you want to improve it so you can pull away. But to pick up six points uh, from a possible 12 is an improvement based on where they were maybe a couple of months ago. And look, since Sean Dyche has come in, it's been a bit of a mixed bag for Everton. You know, they, uh, they of course, took on Arsenal, a game that they won. They then had the Merseyside derby at Anfield, which I didn't expect them to win. They were beaten in that. But then in the games that they would look at and think, you know, they're winnable, that followed that. So a home game against Leeds and a home game against Aston Villa, they only took three points. I think four points. Uh, would have been big for them, you know, not just in terms of the difference between three points and four points. One point isn't always the end of the world, although that could be massive come the end of the season. But I think psychologically, had they avoided defeat in the game against Aston Villa, they'd be in a much better place. So it kind of feels like one step forward at the moment and then one step back under Sean Dyche. Uh, but they were never going to just hit the ground running under him and turn their form from relegation form into something that is like title winning form. So I guess Sean Dyche is long enough in the tooth. He's experienced enough to know that that was always going to be the case. Uh, looking at the season so far then, Arsenal, of course, in first place at the moment. Everton are in 18th. If you look at the games won uh, so far, Arsenal have won 18 in comparison to Everton's five. They've lost 13 times. We've lost on three occasions. 
average goal score per match. This is a big problem for Everton because they don't even average one goal uh, per match. They're at 0.71, Arsenal 2.17. Average goals conceded per match, uh, they're on 1.33 in comparison to Arsenal's 0.96. 1.33 for a team down in 18th is not terrible. Like, obviously, it's not good enough, but I would argue that the problem for Everton has been that they can't score goals. If you look at sides like, I don't know, Leeds United, who are down there as well, you always feel like when Leeds play, they can score goals. Um, you know, and, and that is something that stands them in better stead, I would argue, when it comes to kind of surviving. And ultimately, that's what kept them up last season, isn't it? Uh, clean sheets, Arsenal have te- kept 10. It's only four more than Everton. Um, who, of course, as I say, are, are right down at the bottom of the table currently. If we take it into top player stats in terms of goals in the Premier League, Gabriel Martinelli is now uh, joint top uh, with Bukayo Saka in that department. So nine goals apiece in the Premier League for those two. Uh, Martin Odegaard is in third on eight. Assists, uh, Bukayo Saka has eight, uh, so he's out in front, but joint with Martin Odegaard in second. His former Arsenal man, Alex Iwobi. Always knew he was a player. Uh, looking at passes, uh, it's as you'd expect the two Arsenal centre-backs that lead the way. William Saliba, Gabriel Magalhaes, and then Thomas Partey, uh, who normally pulls strings from that deeper line midfield position. He comes in at third. But when it comes to tackles, actually Everton lead the way here. And I talked about the physicality of that midfield, and I talked about the importance of that for Everton. Amadou Anana sits first. Alex Iwobi, who's really adapted his game, I think, of late, uh, is in second. And third is Idrissa Gay. So two of those three midfielders I've mentioned, plus Alex Iwobi, leading the way in the tackles department, which backs up the point I made earlier, that they are physical, they are powerful, they are going to put themselves about, they are going to try and disrupt us as much as possible. I don't think you can go too lightweight. Right, so that is the statistical uh, breakdown. Let's do uh, some of you guys' questions then. Come on, get them in the live chat. Like, subscribe, you know the drill by now. Uh, Get your questions in and we'll do that for the last sort of 10, 15 minutes of the show. Oh my God, I really am all over the place because I still haven't given you a prediction. My prediction for tomorrow night is Arsenal 2, Everton 0. I feel like we're going to struggle for it. I feel like we're going to suffer. I feel like... It's going to be one of those nights. But I think once we do break the deadlock um, in sort of the last quarter of the game, I think we'll be able to wrap it up with a second, um, which will be nice, won't it? Um, but yeah, I, I do think that we win the game. And I think if we can win the game, it's another big step. No, there's a long way to go. Yeah, there's a, nobody saying that the title race is over or anything like that or that, you know, it's done and dusted. We've seen how quickly these leads can disappear. Uh, in this division. So I'm not getting carried away, but I do feel like, you know, we've been talking about this game in hand for a long time. We've got that game in hand. We've got that game in hand. We have to go out and win that game in hand. And if we can win that game in hand, that puts us in a really, really strong position. And it's another mental hurdle that we'd have overcome. Lots of famous managers over the years used to say, it, you know, it's all good talking about games in hand, but you've got to get the points on the board. And if you don't do that, a game in hand means absolutely sweet FA. So, um, yeah, we um, we need to uh, we need to be focused. We need to be patient, probably, because Everton are going to come and play with a low block. I'm certain of that. 
We need to make sure that we cut out the individual errors. We need to not give them anything to sort of build hope. We need to be quick. We need to be sharp. We need to be um, imposing. We need to be all of those things. And we need to make it really uncomfortable for Everton from the off. You know, they're a little bit low on confidence. It's kind of creeping up under Sean Dyche a little bit, but we need to capitalise on those insecurities that they have. You know, they'll know that they'll be coming to the most difficult place in the league at the moment, and we need to make it hell for them, not just on the pitch, but off it as well. We need the fans uh, to really get behind the team that they have um, every time I've been at the Emirates this season and, and every time I've been on the road with Arsenal this season. So um, I have no doubt that that's going to be the case again tomorrow, but we kind of really need to get that across, in my opinion. Uh, Steve Stone uh, referencing my lack of professionalism during this episode of the podcast, which you're right about. I can't deny it. Uh, he says, Harry, what's up with you? Stop thinking of the mistress. For those of you that missed it, when we did the post-match uh, or the reaction show to the Leicester game, I was in a hotel room. And uh, and the lady that was doing the housekeeping came and knocked on my door and she knocked on my door and I just kind of ignored it the first time. And I was like, she'll hear me talking like I'm doing a live stream right now. She'll hear it and she'll go, oh, you know, what? I'll come back later. But she didn't. She knocked again. So I had to mute uh, the, the podcast and tell her, could you come back later, please? But because I muted it, I think a lot of people uh, started to think that I was maybe hiding something. And uh, yeah, so. Interesting. <laughs> okay. Uh, what else have we got in um, in the live chat? Uh, Alex's comment. I'm not going to put that up on the screen. I'll get in all sorts of trouble. Um, what else have we got? Mohammed uh, um, says, Hi, Harry. The dream signing next summer is Madison in the Xhaka role. It would be a huge quality addition besides, of course, adding a number six like Rice. Uh, Newcastle want Madison badly because his contract ends soon. I like James Madison, but I look, I understand that people feel like we're in a place where the second eight can be more of an attacker than Granite Xhaka is. So if you if I if I bring up the team again, right? Um, for a second, just to kind of demonstrate what it is that what it is that I'm saying. So if I bring up the team again for you, when I talk about the second eight, I'm talking about Granite Xhaka here. Um, you know, Granite Xhaka playing in this position at the moment. Let's highlight him just there. Um, obviously, he's playing in that role and we've seen him get forward a lot more this season and we've seen him uh, sort of be a lot more involved in our build-up play and in our attacking play. And we've seen him grab a couple of goals earlier on in the season uh, from positions that he would simply never have gotten into in the past. So I understand why people look at that and they go, well, we could put a Madison in there. We could put a Tielemans in there. We could put one of those players in there um, and it would be fine. But there is a, a part of me that thinks that one of the reasons our first choice midfield works as well as it does is because of the balance that it currently brings us. Because Xhaka is more physical than Martin Odegaard. I'm not saying he works harder or covers more ground, but he's a bigger lad. He's a bigger guy. He's a stronger guy. He's someone that you're not going to bully. So that he gives us something that Martin Odegaard doesn't. Now, I'm not saying Martin Odegaard's a pushover, but you, you've got, in Thomas Partey, you've got the perfect six for me. I think he's fantastic. In Odegaard, you've got the perfect eight. In Xhaka, you've got a bit of both. And that's why I think this works so well, because 
Xhaka also has a lot more defensive responsibility than um, than Odegaard does on that other side. Xhaka will drop uh, to allow Zinchenko to come in sometimes. Xhaka does tuck in at left back sometimes, depending on where we are, depending on the game state. Yeah, he gets a lot more forward now and he pops up in this half space far more regularly than he ever did. And, and all of that is great. But there are also moments in games where Granit Xhaka um, has to step into different roles and his ability to do that is what gives us the balance that, you know, we've really benefited from this season. You, you look on the other side, Ben White might go on an overlapping run, but if he doesn't, he's always going to be around this kind of area and he doesn't have to really, um, you know, Martin Odegaard doesn't have to come in to cover him, for example. It's, do you see what I'm trying to say? Like, there's just a balance that having Xhaka, Partey and Odegaard brings us. It's slightly disrupted with Jorginho in there. It's not bad with Jorginho in there, but it's not quite the same. I just think if you take Xhaka out and you put in a Madison, who's a fantastic player, don't get me wrong, then you're weakening that midfield from a defensive standpoint. And in terms of its ability to plug holes that are left by Zinchenko bombing on and by us pushing up and wanting to play with you know, five forwards at certain points in games. So I think that that's something that Mikel Arteta really, really needs to think long and hard about. Fabio Vieira's there, a player that Arsenal signed off spending in excess of 35 million on. Uh, so if Arsenal thought that that was the way to go right now in terms of having a more or, or a second more creative eight rather than a Xhaka style player or a Xhaka mole player, then I think they would have tried it on a couple of occasions by now. And they haven't. And and that suggests to me that this is really about keeping that balance. Um, you know, some people have talked about Jorginho maybe playing there when Thomas Partey's back. Uh, and so the pair of them playing together and then Jorginho having that ability to drop in. I don't even think Jorginho being a right footer would be able to cover the spaces that Zinchenko vacates and give us the protection on the left-hand side that Granit Xhaka does at certain points. So I'm not saying he's the best player out there or he's the, he's the perfect player. I just think that he is the one that gives us balance because of his flexibility and because he can do a number of different things. Uh, Ambrose West says, Zinchenko must learn to use the inversion role more sparingly. A run down the lane now and then would do wonders for Martinelli sometimes as well. I agree with that. I think that's a valid point. I've grown frustrated with Zinchenko recently, particularly when we were going through that bad run and in the first half of the Villa game as well, where it just becomes too predictable. It isn't helping us offensively anymore because teams have cottoned onto it. Um, and it's also having a negative impact defensively. So I agree with you. I think that it's, it's not as effective um, when you do it every single time. And that's what we've got to be careful of here. Um, let's take this one from uh, Raul, who says, I beg your pardon. Hi, Harry. Everton overloaded the midfield and controlled the game at Goodison. I think if we control the centre spaces, we'd win this match easily. So how do we control the midfield tomorrow? Well, by having Granite Xhaka in the team for starters, <laughs> uh, I think that's really important. And I think um, it, the inversion bit that we were talking about just now was Inchenko. I think you need it against Everton because you need to control that middle of the park. But equally, you need to be able to deal with what's probably going to be a more direct transition. So 
they're probably going to go long uh, when they do get the ball. They'll be well aware of our intention to press high up the pitch. And Sean Dyche is not the type of manager who would instruct his team, in my opinion, to take great risks in possession in those areas. So they will go long. And if they're going to go long, they have the ability to bypass that inversion and your attempts to flood the midfield. So you need to be alert to the threat that they have in the wide areas as well. You know, you want to force them wide. And if you force somebody wide, um, it does give you the opportunity to buy some time and get back in shape. But we also know they're the type of team uh, that can deliver into the penalty area uh, from wide areas and cause you a problem. So, yeah, we got to be careful. we got to be careful. But, yeah, to control the midfield, we have to flood it, in my opinion, and we have to dominate it. And we have to use our higher level of technical ability to play around them. Um, and if having an extra man in there, whether that be Zinchenko or whatever, uh, is going to help us do that and facilitate that, then that's the way we need to go, I think. Edwin says, uh, what's your take on Sambi's performance versus Liverpool? And do you think he'll improve mentally under Vieira? Patrick Vieira has got elite mentality. There's no question about that. The guy is unbelievable. I've been lucky enough to interview Patrick Vieira a couple of times this season when I've covered Crystal Palace games for, for, for Radio London. And he is a class act. And he never comes out and makes excuses, Patrick Vieira. Like, you know, I've, I've done a couple of their games this season where I thought they played incredibly well and they just didn't get the rub of the green and therefore didn't get the result. Patrick Vieira doesn't come out and, and point fingers. Patrick Vieira is honest. Um, you know, he, he's he's not critical of individuals to the point where he might cause problems behind the scenes, but he does come out and he does talk openly and he does highlight the areas in which he felt his team could do better. Now, I can only imagine that that's just a little preview of what he's like on an individual level in the dressing room with players when they don't perform. Patrick Vieira will tell you about yourself. If you don't perform, Patrick Vieira will tell you about yourself. And because of Patrick Vieira's stature as a player, he demands a certain level of respect. And um, what you also get from Patrick Vieira when you speak to him is that he's a really warm character. Um, and if he trusts in you and believes in you, uh, he will give you everything didn't necessarily you don't always get that from ex-players of a high profile sometimes you you look at them and they come across as a little bit well you know I could do this in my playing days so why couldn't you or you know I was at that level why aren't you sort of thing you know and and I think that's held some great ex-pros back as managers that kind of mentality Patrick Vieira knows what he's in he knows what he's dealing with he knows that he's at a club that staying in the Premier League every season is is an achievement and Palace fans might not like me saying that, but that's the reality of it. In terms of Sambi's performance, I thought he had a good game. I didn't see uh, all of it. I saw the vast majority of it and the highlights. And from what I saw, he looked pretty good and he needs the confidence. I've always said it about Sambi. For me, there was never any question marks about his ability. You know, he, he's got bags of it. He's got tons of it, but mentally he wasn't there at Arsenal. He wasn't he wasn't happy. He didn't believe in himself. Maybe because of a lack of game time, a lack of faith, he maybe felt was showed in him. But at the end of the day, the team needs to win. The team needs to perform. And Sambi's performances didn't warrant or justify him being in the side, um, you know, as regularly as he'd have liked. And if you go back to the Amazon doc as well, there was that bit, wasn't there, of him complaining as well. Not complaining, but making the point that, you know, he maybe thought he was going to play a little bit more get your head down, knuckle down, and and maybe he has to do it elsewhere. 
Um, he's gone elsewhere and and I hope he continues to develop and improve because in the worst case, right, that we still don't look at him and think that, you know, he's he's going to be Arsenal level and we, and we don't bring him back. We can at least recuperate or recoup the money um, that we spent on him, possibly make a profit. And that's what Arsenal have to do better as a football club. We keep talking about this and I feel like we're on the path to doing that, but you know, we need to be able to move these players on and, and get something for them. I mean, Nuno Tavares is a good example of that. He's playing quite well in France. Um, you know, he's been he's been really good. Um, and, well, for the most part, anyway. And, you know, Marseille are probably going to want to sign him in this summer. We paid, what, seven, eight million pounds for him. We could probably get 15, 20 million for him um, based on the way he's performed this season. And so if you make a mistake in terms of, bringing in a player that maybe isn't good enough for Arsenal level, you can very often rectify that if they go and have a successful loan spell. But that depends on you identifying the right destination. Um, and uh, and it feels to me like Palace is a good one for Lokonga. It's in the same league. It's going to face all of the same challenges, but just in an environment where there is less pressure and, and where he's going to get more game time. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. Um, I, I'm okay with Lukonga being there. I, I thought he was good against Liverpool. Was he outstanding? I, I didn't come away from the game going, yeah, he was amazing. But he held his own. And that is progress because he's looked like a fish out of water when he's played for Arsenal in some big games this season. So, yeah, that's where I'm at. Okay, uh, I am going to leave it there. Um, thank you all so much for tuning in. We'll be back uh, with a review of the game, not a hundred percent sure uh, whether that's going to come tomorrow night after I get back from Emirates or first thing on Thursday morning, like really bright and early. I'm not sure um, because I am working on the game for radio, which means I won't get out of there at the full time whistle. It means I'll be hanging around for a little while. Uh, to do what I need to do. And then that means I'll probably get home really late. I, I guess I'm just going to see how I feel tomorrow uh, because if I'm shattered, I'm not going to give you guys a good podcast. Uh, so in which case I'll do it first thing on Thursday morning, but I will keep you posted. Uh, the player ratings will be out for the another Slice members. Uh, apologies, we didn't get them out for Leicester. Um, I was working uh, in Paris, but I do owe you an additional bit of content uh, off the back of that. So uh, there is something coming your way. Uh, I, I I was going to record it today. Um, I wanted to do it. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do like a comparison piece on like what Trossard brings us and what Enketia brings us in the forward position. Throw Martinelli into the mix as well. But um, I figured when I sat down to record it this afternoon, maybe Mikel's going to go with that again tomorrow. And then maybe we'll have more of a sample size and more evidence to kind of plow into that. So, yeah. Um, We'll, we'll do that uh, tomorrow, either way, uh, tomorrow or Thursday. Sorry, Thursday or Friday we'll do that once we've had a, a chance to look at what, what Arsenal set up like tomorrow. Uh, Ty Gunasaurus says, has Eddie not got a small injury? He did have an injury uh, in the build-up to the weekend's game, apparently. But from what I understand, it wasn't severe enough uh, to keep him out of the team. He just picked up a knock. He recovered from it. Maybe that contributed to him being left out. Um, but it wasn't 
the decision maker, if that makes sense, as far as I know, based on what I've been told. But anyway, okay, uh, going to leave it there, guys. I will catch you all on Wednesday night, really late, or Thursday, uh, to look back on the game. Fingers crossed we take all three points and extend that lead at the top of the Premier League table. Up the Arsenal. Goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.